Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. Khalees Smith getting an early jump on vacation. Later in the show, celebrating the 50th anniversary of hip-hop with a five-course wine dinner. Yes, thank you. A preview of that occasion with the rapper-slash-city councilor who runs Jackalope in Springfield. And a respite from the floods with flowers at Many Grace's farm in Hadley. But... I've been trying to reach Congressman McGovern for our usual Thursday chat, and he hasn't called yet. Heads are going to roll in the McGovern office because of this. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) Your people, Congressman Jim McGovern, were supposed to tell me that you weren't going to be able to join us today because you are where? Kenya. (laughs) Africa. Um, so anyway, but you know what, whatever, but it's good to be with you. Even though I'm seven hours ahead of you, but I've had an interesting visit so far and, um, you know, but looking forward to coming home. I hope the rest of today goes well, you being seven hours ahead of us and everything. Uh, what are you doing in Kenya? Well, looking at a number of, uh, you know, uh, food security issues, uh, just came from a, a place called, uh, Kakuma, um, which is a refugee settlement about an hour and a half outside of Nairobi. And, uh, Saw some really incredible stuff and saw some really sad stuff, too. A lot of children, you know, suffering from malnutrition. A lot of people fleeing uh, violence in their home countries, whether it's Sudan or Burundi or the Congo. And, um, and and looking at, you know, the important work that uh, is being done by people like the World Food Program and the United Nations and other relief organizations and, and seeing firsthand the, the benefits of USAID uh, to some of these initiatives. It really is quite inspiring. What Unfortunately, com- we're cutting some of that aid and, and, and people here, you know, are going to be provided less food uh, and less medical support um, and less shelter. How do you see the USAID uh, working specifically? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of the food here is, is it says right on it, you know, uh, from the people of the United States of America, that food is, is saving lives. Um, medicines and, uh, you know, and also just materials to help build shelters. Uh, again, all courtesy of the United States, other countries have contributed, but we're by far the largest and have made a real difference. I mean, to save lives and people should be proud of, uh, of the, uh, I'm on an airplane, that's what you hear in the background. Well, people, people should be proud of the um, humanitarian aid that we, uh, that we send, helping pregnant mothers deliver healthy babies and also um, helping malnourished kids get well enough to grow up to be healthy adults. Are you have to go through the safety protocols and stuff right now? Is that what they're doing? Are you are you boarding? No, I'm on a yeah, I'm on a United Nations plane. So oh, wow. they're just telling us what's going on. Is it is it a delegation of other Congress people apart from yourself? Yes, there are. There's a bunch of us, you know, uh, Democrats and Republicans and others who are on this trip. And you know, and it's and it's, again, it's been a, it's been powerful to see the effectiveness of some of our humanitarian aid. It's also been sad to see what some of the cutbacks. And, the, and that aid has meant to people here. I mean, uh, and also to, to, to see the, you know, the impact that the, uh, the that the Russian war in Ukraine, in which the Russians are now prohibiting safe passage for a lot of Ukrainian um, food from getting here. It has been a historically a, a major supplier of humanitarian food all over the world, and the Russians are now blocking that, which is unforgivable in my opinion. I mean, to literally make it easier for people to starve is just uh, unconscionable. When your GOP colleagues are there in Kenya seeing food that's marked from the people of the United States of America, is this something that they're largely supportive of? I can imagine Democrats might be more supportive of this from the rhetoric you hear from the Democratic side of the aisle. But when a Republican sees this in action in Kenya, do they have a different opinion than they would have had maybe in the halls of Congress in Washington, D.C.? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's mixed, quite frankly. Um, as you know, I worked my way through the college working for Senator George McGovern uh, of no South relation. Dakota, a liberal Democrat. Yeah, no relation. But he worked very closely with Senator Bob Dole, who became a good friend of mine, a Republican from Kansas, a conservative. And they both saw the effectiveness of humanitarian aid, uh, not just in terms of food, but in terms of monetary aid, too, because sometimes it makes more sense to buy food locally so you don't disrupt local economies. But they saw the power of, of that uh, in terms of uh, not only helping people, but also enhancing our national security. I mean, the people that we met with have said thank you to the people of the United States. Well, thank you to the people of the United States. They, they know we are we are helping. Unfortunately, you know, more help is needed here. There are people seeking asylum from a lot of, you know, again, from Sudan, from uh, Burundi, from Congo, from Somalia, from a number of countries that uh, Uganda, where there's a lot of violence and, and uh, internal upheaval. So, you know, there's just a need for the world to do more, and we should lead that effort and not try to cut back on that. We have some members of Congress who, quite frankly, are, you know, are talking about zeroing out programs like Food for Peace or eliminating entirely the McGovern Dole a school feeding program, which I authored. These are programs that feed people. In the case of McGovern Dole, feed people, get kids in school, and also get more girls into school, uh, which is an important thing. I think this trip has been helpful for Democrats and Republicans, I think, to go back and to say that this is important. And this is, you know, in, in anything we cut here, we will pay for, you know, tenfold down the road with other problems that will occur. I think that there are some people who might say that this is a, a form of national security where there seems to be an unlimited budget for weapons. However, if you can help to use your national treasure to stabilize the nation by making sure everybody has enough to eat, that in and of itself is a way of calming the fever of war, uh, of crime all across the world. So it's interesting to see that this is a, del a bipartisan delegation, a, a very special McGovering with McGovern live from a, a United Nations plane in Kenya. This wasn't supposed to happen today. I just texted the congressman and he very graciously uh, agreed to call from the United Nations plane in Kenya. Well, I, I wish you were with me. I would love to go. I mean, that would to me, kissing babies and getting to go ch uh, explore the world would be the only reason I would ever want to be an elected official. Um, yesterday, though, before a little bit of politics, before I let you go and come back to the country, the IRA turned one yesterday, not the Irish Republican Army or the individual retirement account, but the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, the Democrats are saying it's the largest investment in climate change in history. Uh, the Huffington Post has an article saying that the Biden administration is celebrating the Inflation Reduction Act anniversary, but voters don't seem to notice is there a messaging issue with this act in regards to the way the public has received it? And do people in Kenya know about this act, which theoretically is going to help the entire world in its climate problem? Well, well, the people in Kenya don't know about the act, but they know about climate change because it's very real over here. You know, the rains don't come like they used to. You know, more and more land is unfarmable. I mean, they're, they're, they're seeing firsthand the impacts of climate change. Look, um, is there a messaging problem? Absolutely. If people don't know about it and people are, are, are unaware that this is the biggest investment to combat climate change in our history, then there is a messaging problem. And the president and everybody else and anybody else who cares about climate change ought to be at a megaphone and talking about this stuff. Look, this campaign, when all is said and done, is about real issues. And you know, the climate crisis and climate change, the warming of our planet, it is real. And if you don't believe it is, then you must be living in an alternative universe. I mean, our local farmers in Western Massachusetts will tell you about uh, the impacts of climate change. I mean, the, the flooding that uh, has uh, negatively impacted so many of our farmers. I mean, that is, has a direct relationship to these 
crazy weather patterns that we're having here. So yeah, this, this is a big bill. This is a major investment. It is going to help. It is, we need to do much more than this. But quite frankly, if the political situation is different in terms of who's running the White House and who's running both chambers of Congress, if that changes, you can see an attempt to repeal the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. And in fact, many people have already introduced legislation to do that. It is a stupid thing to do, given what's happening. And it's so obvious. Uh, but this is a big deal. Uh, we need to talk about it. We need to brag about it. And then we need to build on it. Speaking of our farms in western Massachusetts, once you get back from Kenya, Congressman, you'll be going on a farm tour this coming Tuesday. You'll be at Mayvale in West Hampton to start Flat Rock and Chesterfield Natural Roots in Conway, which was significantly affected by the floods. Pine Hill in Coleraine and Our Family Farms in Leiden. Uh, is there a major focus on this particular farm tour, Congressman, beyond the flooding well, I, and the disasters yeah. that we've experienced this year? Well, I mean, I, I do farm tours every year, and you know, and I do that because let me just be blunt. I'm I'm not a farmer. I was not raised on a farm. I'm not a, I'm not an expert on everything agricultural uh, related. I'm on the agriculture committee, and the way I can be effective is by going to our local farms and listening to the farmers and the people you know who work the farm. And that's what I intend to do. So I want to. Obviously, we want to talk about some of the damage because of these re- the recent flooding and the, and the storms. But I also want to find out what else is on their mind, other ways that we could be helpful. Some of these farmers you know, need to diversify in order to be able to remain afloat. But we'll talk about some of that and find ways that the, the federal government can be wind at their back. Uh, but agriculture is an important part of our national economy, an important part of Massachusetts' economy. We should never forget it or take it for granted. You know, I think I may have told you this before, but I, uh, you know, when Trump was president, I, Sonny Purdue, his Secretary of Agriculture, came up and did a, uh, an event uh, with me. I think it was in Northborough. And he was we had a group of farmers there. And he said, you know, in Mississippi, we have farms that go back two or three generations. And we had a number of farmers stand up and say, that's it? I mean, we have farms in Massachusetts that are double and triple that uh, in terms of how long they've been here, how long they've been operating. So, you know, let's not take our farms for granted. And, you know, we're going to be doing, I'm working with a state legislative delegation. We're going to be doing an event um, at Berkshire Brewery on Monday uh, to try to um, raise some money uh, to help our local farms. If people are around, uh, you know, I, I hope that you will come. I mean, every dollar helps. And there's not a lot of assistance in terms of direct grant assistance assistance available for our farms. Some of our crop insurance plans don't fit the model of our local farms. So, you know, we're we're doing everything we can to try to help them refinance existing loans to lower their payments to, you know, we're going to raise, you know, hopefully a a few million dollars to be able to pay out to some of these farmers so they can uh, pay their bills. That's coming up this Monday at Berkshire Brewing in South Deerfield. A large swath of the Western Mass legislative delegation is taking part in this. Senators Joe Comerford uh, and Paul Mark, Representatives Natalie Blay, Dan Carey, Mindy Dom, Lindsay Sabadosa, Aaron Saunders, and Susanna Whips. Congressman McGovern is on a United Nations flight coming back from Kenya. Last question, Congressman. Who do you sit next to on the plane? Actually, I'm on my way to Nairobi. Oh. Who do you sit next to on the plane? I'm sitting by myself right now but we have a, we have a, a great group of people i'm enjoying the people on this trip all here because they care about uh, the fact that so many people in this country are hungry and we're trying to figure out a way to alleviate that and eliminate that thank you congressman for taking the time during the delegation i'm off next week but i'm going to definitely let your office know you can call me on plum island while i'm on vacation though if you need to you're the best the only thing that would be better if you were with me Mark. anyway we'll talk soon have a great rest of your trip Bye.
You can always send your questions for Congressman McGovern to the Fab 413 at nepm.org. Coming up, a preview of the occasion with the rapper slash city councilor who runs Jackalope in Springfield. But first, a respite from the floods with flowers at Many Graces in Hadley. You're listening to the Fabulous 413 on NEPM. For me, flowers are a form of poetry. And to me, poetry is is the language that tries to draw alongside the mystery of the world as it's unfolding and bring it into language. It's a sentiment from the Celtic philosopher John O'Donohue, who I really love. To me, the idea of grace is poetry, is the ineffable. My mom helped me find the name Many Graces. We were on a long car ride and I was deciding to launch Many Graces officially and I said mom what's what's the name of this business like I don't know what to name it and she asked me what do you love about the farm and I said well I love the way the wind through the trees sounds in the morning I love all the bugs that I get to see every day I love the smells I love all the olfactory kind of sensory experiences that we get in this work and she looked at me and she said well I think you like the many graces of the work and that was the name. Yay, Mom. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. Time for another Local Hero Spotlight with Phil Corman from CESA, the Local Hero folks, community involved in sustaining agriculture. And this season, we've been talking an awful lot about the wet weather, the floods, and how they've affected especially vegetable-oriented farms. But we need bread and roses. And we're here at Many Graces Farm in Hadley. Hi, I'm Rebecca Maye. I am the founder of the farm. I wear many hats. I'm the creative director, so I manage all of our events work. Um, We do a lot of special events, a lot of weddings, a lot of private events, a lot of events for the colleges in the area. Floral design, I should say. And I also farm with the team. My name is Kel Comenda. Kel, you and Many Graces are kind of cohabitating with another farm. We are, yeah. There's actually three farms on this property that we're looking at right now. The fields that we currently are looking at uh, are not our fields. Um, this in the summer is a next barn over uh, CSA field, uh, pick your own. The barn next to this field is rented by that farm in the summer and then it switches over to winter moon roots in the winter, which has a really amazing business model. They do this crazy harvest in the first two weeks of November and then that barn becomes cold storage and they're just distributing root vegetables throughout the winter so the valley gets fresh vegetables from that farm all winter long they're not off in the summers but they have a little bit different schedule than a typical farmer and flowers aren't going to be growing in the late fall winter in the same way so it's kind of an amazing concept that all these three farms are collaborating in some respect with this land the beginning of the week is crunch time because you're sending flowers off all over the place right yeah that's right we send flowers into the flower market in new york city There are huge wholesalers there, which is great for us because our sort of name spreads throughout the Northeast because people will come from all over just to go to that market. Um, And then we have a CSA distribution into Boston. Um, We're part of a collective in Connecticut. And then we also sell to a place called the Floral Reserve in Rhode Island. And Providence area is like the number one destination for weddings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's like maybe Newport. Yeah. So there's (laughs) like... Not far from there. There's a huge... I got married in Rhode Island, I should say. So... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh yeah, I heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Big 
florist community out there. So we've connected in a short amount of time with really amazing people in the local cut flower industry. But if you want a local local, you have a newish shop in Northampton, right? Yeah, we uh, we moved on to West Street this last February, and we have two spaces there, actually. We have a production studio for all of our event design work, and then we have a next door space that we're going to be making a really exciting announcement about. I think I'll let Kel do the honors of that. I mean, I'm making the announcement, but it's Rebecca's big vision has been for a while to open a space that people can really be immersed in local floriculture and have this experience that we're able to bring to people when they hire us for our design work. But that is sort of like a one-off event. So the vision has always been to be able to create a space where people can come on a regular basis and have a glass of wine, a mocktail, and uh, be amongst the flowers and have what we call a moment of respite. We feel really passionate about offering people an experience of beauty and the flowers are really such a perfect vehicle for that experience and we're so excited to create the space where people can just really come and admire and be among the healing properties of the flowers. And that's going to kind of get launched relatively shortly. We're launching a crowd fundraising campaign to help us raise some funds for the equipment that we'll need to put in to be, I guess, classified as a bar, um, <laughs> which is a new thing for us. But um, maybe a bunch of liquor yeah. licenses available yeah. in Northampton very shortly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll have a seasonal pouring license, but our, our fundraising campaign is going to be hosted by Patronicity, and that is a format that came from a grant program called Biz Empower, which is headed up by MGCC, which is the Massachusetts Growth Capital Corporation. I think that they came out of 2020. I think they really started funding small businesses out of a need to try to help people survive in, in a lot of ways. And so they've created this grant program. It's a matching grant. So we're trying to raise just under $20,000 and they will match us two to one. I will add that we need a lot more money than that. Um, Speaking with Kel and Rebecca from Many Graces Farm here in Hadley and Phil Corman from CISA, the local hero folks. I just want to tell everyone what's going on right now. We're, first of all, being attacked by mosquitoes in an amazing way. I've not worn a jacket at all, but I have a, a hood over a hat, and uh, everyone is scrubbing their arms. We have many incredible, beautiful humans working in the background, getting ready for flowers to be picked up. We have a truck that is just filled with, actually, it'd be a great rural wedding truck. I oh, think. yeah. And so the colors are all here, and the labor is happening with everyone giving their sweat equity. But before we go to the other field where you'll be showing us more of the flowers and the mosquitoes I know everything you do is so infused with your values and that is such a beauty that just the flowers know about it and I just would love you to share that. Well I'll just start I'll talk about a little bit of our growing practices Um, when I first started growing down here in the lower field just beyond where we're standing now that field hadn't been farmed in over a decade so I was really coming in new trying to assess the ecosystem also I'm a complete Kel and I are both completely self-taught farmers we were very much learning on the job we grow according to organic certification standards we are not certified but Which we, is not an uncommon thing. People practice yeah. it, but it's costly to jump through those hoops. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out the pest pressure, and we were, I began using organic compliant pesticides. And after about a 
year doing that, I realized that we really didn't have any beneficial insects around. So the next year I said, we're just going to stop spraying and we're going to see. And it was a little, it was a little struggle that first year of, of not leaning on the sprays, but we started implementing different cropping system where we actually just plant crops for beneficials, not even for production. Um, we plant crops for the pests that we know we have. Our so that's to just to distract the pests? Yes. We feed the pests. That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sounds like parenting to me. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> what that has evolved into is we have an incredibly resilient and robust ecosystem now down in our lower fields. I mean, if we were to walk down there, you wouldn't be able to walk three steps without seeing a ladybug. We have so many praying mantis. We have um, green lace wings. We have braconid wasps. I mean, it's, it's truly remarkable what just being patient and taking good care of the land, how it can reward you. Um, the flowers I think that you're seeing here are, are a really great example of the abundance that happens when you just take care of the earth. Should we check out some of the fields? Sure. Yeah, definitely. I just want to point out what Phil is doing right now, which is what most visitors do when they come down here, is they pick up all of what our, our trash jolly is on the ground, <laughs> things that don't make the cut, but they're still so beautiful. And so whenever anybody comes down and sees flowers on the ground, they're always just picking from the ground. But The trash jolly is my yeah. new band name. Yeah. <laughs> we can, um, maybe that should be our new store name. Our I like bar. that. Um, I thought he was using them to ward off the mosquitoes, because yeah. all the other thing you, yeah. the listener can't see right now is we're all doing what looks like the swim, the dance yeah. move, all the time to keep yeah. the bugs off of us yeah. we're on rented land and that has its challenges in the sense that you know we don't know how long we're ever going to be in a particular place this field we have made a lot of leaps of faith that we're going to be able to be here for a long time our landlord is michael doctor who people in the area he was on our first know. local hero segment on uh, the we new show on the fabulous four and three <laughs> I love you too, Michael. Yeah. I'm trying to get him to adopt me because he said that he wants to make sure that this land is for his heirs. So I told him I'm up for adoption. I told him we don't have to go to therapy. I won't call him dad. No hugs necessary. Um, but this field, as Rebecca said, was, was not being farmed. And it's a pretty magical spot down here. We're just above the Connecticut River. So we have the amazing Hadley loam that everybody talks about and knows about if you're in the valley, which is just world-class soil. You can see there are wet spots from all this rain but it drains so it fast drains so fast yeah. yeah just yesterday we we were driving through at least six to eight inches of of standing water here and now you can see it's like a couple puddles a couple yeah. puddles and then you've got these two giant greenhouses over here too. Are you growing in there? Yeah. Oh yeah, I only see yeah. two of them. The the high tunnels really change the game for really any any farmer. Our field crops are beholden to whatever the first frost is. We we do have some measure to save some of our more important late season crops like the dahlias that we're walking by right now. But you can also see if you peek into the greenhouses, these are all dahlias in here too. So we try to make sure that we have flowers in production through uh, mid to end November. So apart from dahlias, which we've talked about, what are other types of flowers that you're really good at growing here at Many Graces? I will say that we're pretty good at a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I guess, what grows well here in Hadley that you've been able to make work with these practices, these really innovative practices, I think, that you're using to grow them. Yeah, sure. Um, our Lysianthus is, is very coveted by all of our clients and customers. Um, other crops that we do really well, Celosia. It, it's one that looks sort of exotic. It has this really colorful plumage, um, and people are often surprised 
surprised that it can grow here in Massachusetts. That one I think is really special. And we grow a lot of eucalyptus, which is another one that I think folks are always surprised that we can grow here. <laughs> With a beautiful flower or is it used for other eucalyptus uh, type purposes? For foliage and bouquets, but you know, people are also, well, they'll buy it and like put it around their house, put it in their shower. Oh yeah, yeah. I love the smell of eucalyptus. Yeah. And yeah. I think spring crops, um, we now that we have all these new high tunnels, we really um, go big with ranunculus in the spring and mm. that's a crowd favorite. But the high tunnels are another example of us installing infrastructure on land that we don't know how long we'll, we'll be able to be here, you know? So mm -hmm. that's, that's one of the things that we sort of always come back to and what is informing all of our decisions is, is really a land search for a permanent home. Right. I think statistically most farmers are seen as successful when they can live on the land that they're farming you know mm. so we're we're sort of in a twofold situation where we've never been homeowners we're both come from working class families and we have no inherited wealth but this is the yeah. struggle that young farmers totally, are facing and, totally. and farming is starting to age out right Phil I mean like there's yeah. the majority yeah. of farmers are you know of of what would be traditional retirement age so it's harder for younger people like yeah. you two mm -hmm. Kel and Rebecca from yes. Many Graces Farm here in Hadley to get stable in that way and you didn't grow up in a farming community with land around you and infrastructure and equipment and multi-generations to sort of pass on. And there's not that many flower farmers. We look at the fact that we're first-generation flower farmers as a positive in a lot of ways. A lot of things that we've done that have certainly taken us a lot longer to learn than if somebody were telling us. <clears throat> we've come up with like a lot of creative solutions where people are like, oh, no, you can't do that. And we're like, well, we didn't know that, so we've been doing that. <laughs> yeah. So we have not ever had irrigation down here. We've been running a garden hose from that neighbor's barn up top wow. into this field to irrigate five and a half acres for the past five years. And this year we don't need water. But yeah. we had an engineer come out last year to try to look at this project of putting a well in. And I, he was like, how are you irrigating? And I told him from a hose that's running thousands of feet from, down that hill. He's like, <laughs> you can't do that. And I was like, well, that's what we've been doing because like we had no other choice. So that's, a, that's how we've gotten water down here. Back to the point of like, we are facing a crisis with land transition as like a lot of farmers age out. And of course, if you're somebody who's worked your whole life and you've acquired a lot of equipment and a lot of debt, because that's the majority of what farmers do, you're going to probably want to sell to the highest bidder. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to be a farmer. And right. so the real estate market has really shifted so drastically in the past couple of years. And we know that Bill Gates is the largest farmland owner in the entire United States, and he's not a farmer. So why is he owning farmland? And I think it's because people who have money realize the value of farmland, you know, if you're going to control the resources. So we need to have farmland in farmers' hands. And so I'm, I'm working with members of Congress on shaping the farm bill. I know you had Representative McGovern on. Most every, every week, week. Yeah, even yeah. today. Yeah. And he is, you know, we're so lucky to be in this area where our representatives, our community are so supportive of farmers and mutual aid is something that we really lean on and there needs to be structural change. Part of what we're asking for in the farm bill is about creating equitable land access for folks, particularly young and BIPOC farmers black indigenous people of color and so I'm working with the National Young Farmers as one of 100 fellows in the U.S. 
trying to get the message out about the farm bill, which is the second biggest spending bill behind the defense bill. So a lot of people don't know how impactful the farm bill is, but if you eat food, you should be concerned about it. Yeah. You know, it's really about conservation. It's about climate change. It's about all the things that the majority of people really do care about. And what we've heard from Congressman McGovern is oftentimes puts huge agro business in the Midwest in front of the small farmers like many graces here in Hadley or the other two farms that exist on this relatively small plot of land. Yeah, I mean, and I think that, you know, what we know is that a lot of the solutions for us to all continue to exist lie in the practices of small farmers. Any advice for backyard flower growers? Because you're relatively new to this too. And, yeah. you know, like my wife loves growing. We have almost exclusively flowers in our backyard. My neighbors are always like, why don't you grow vegetables? And I'm yeah. like, because flowers. Yeah. yeah. I would say the, the biggest misconception that folks have is that their bushes or their plants start to flower and they, they're hesitant to cut the flowers off the plant. And the more you cut for most plants, the more the plant will thrive. I, my advice is go ahead and cut yourself a bouquet. <laughs> you two are a couple, right? Yes. Yeah. How, does that bring new challenges to the, the business of a young business of farming? Well, if you even knew what we've been through in the past, you know, <laughs> how many years. I mean, literally, we were living an hour away from the farm until just last spring because we couldn't afford to live in the valley. We lived in one room for the entire pandemic, pandemic with, with two, two large dogs. Yeah, two dogs. <laughs> and so we were like, there's four of us in here and we're still doing okay. Yeah. Like, um, I think we can make it through anything. Yeah. So, I mean, we we bring such unique skill sets to the business that it's really complimentary. Yeah. And I think that as the business grows, the more Kel and my position become so much more diversified. We might work together and talk to each other on the phone 10, 15 times a day, but we still come home at the end of the day and, and we're like, what did you do today? Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just very, I don't want to talk about it's it. Very, yeah. It's very <laughs> dynamic. It's really fun. I love, I love, I love being able to, we really encourage each other. I love, I feel so lucky that I get to I do. You're gonna say I love you. I, yeah. I yeah. do, I, I do love you, yeah. Kel. And, and I also just feel, for all you listeners, Kel Comenda is my favorite person oh, nice. in yeah, the yeah. whole world. Yeah. So it's, I feel really honored and grateful yeah. that we get to do this together. Yeah. One of the many graces. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. that's right. Yeah. Well. I, I have not had a walk talk flower exposure like this in a long time. And it's hopefully it'll get malaria. And it's rare that the beauty and values are only matched by the beauty and what they grow, so I'm so glad to be here. There were a lot of mosquitoes. Coming up, the fiftieth anniversary of hip hop meets a five-course wine dinner at one of the newest restaurants on Worthington Street in Springfield. A preview coming up with Jackalope. You're listening to the Fabulous 413 on NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, helping customers make the switch to solar for savings, energy security, and tax incentives. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. We're about to go on Beach Week for a vacation, so we're getting ready on this the plywood ramp to the weekend Thursday with a special extra wine Thunderdome, and it may be the fanciest one. I know, like everyone's been bringing us food, but nobody's been bringing us food quite like this. Also, don't think that this is the bar, anybody. Because this is a bar and restaurant, and so of course they do have food, and there is a very special celebration. It's only right that this is a fanciest Thunderdome because there is a special celebration that will happen here at the newish restaurant in Springfield on Worthington Street. 
Jackalope. What is a jackalope? Well, a jackalope is a mythical creature. I have been told that it is less scary than a chupacabra and more cuddly than a koala. What would you say, Sean? First off, jackalopes are absolutely real, but the myth originally comes from ranchers in Wisconsin who, after losing their absolute gourd driving their cattle all around, they'd sit around singing around the campfire and they'd think, oh man, we hear an extra voice. All they'd see around them are jackrabbits. And so they'd either hallucinate or see ones with antlers and be like, that's Jackalope and that's my guy. Here at Jackalope on Worthington Street in Springfield, there's gonna be a celebration of the 50 years of hip hop. Everybody has been celebrating this August, the 50th anniversary of hip hop. I'm Garrick Perry. Some folks might know me as Force. Uh, and I'm also your local hip hop pop. You're also city councilor in Northampton. Gonna be running for at large. At large, uh, rap representative is what I would say. <laughs> uh, rap representative. And I am excited to be here. Uh, some of you may have heard from the first Fabulous 413, I was there with the, on the Jizza show, but I do have a proclivity to rhyming and hip hop is my thing. This for me is kind of the culmination of all of my ties to this area, a little bit of fine dining, great wines, and a soundtrack hand selected. Tell us what's gonna happen in celebration of hip hop and when here at Jackalope. So we've got a lot of events uh, happening this month. Coming up Sunday, this upcoming Sunday, we've got a hip hop brunch. We've been doing those for a little over a year. We do traditional brunch, but with a hip hop soundtrack to it, provided by your boy Munch is our DJ. It's a Munch brunch. It's a Munch brunch. We also have this five-course hip-hop wine dinner. That's kind of the culmination of this, and it's the first of what we hope will be many. Uh, this is kind of our proof of concept. Uh, we really want to pair this fine dining experience that's approachable, but also gives a nod to some of the music that helped all of us grow up. Hi, I'm Sean. I think you, you guys know who I Wait am. Wait a minute. Yeah. Sure. Are you Sean Bilson, who you would come and do a cocktail Thunderdome with us at the, at the radio station? Uh, I think once or twice or three times. Yeah, I think we've done that before. I think we've done that a I couple of times. I think we've done times. that before. But now you're yeah. here at Jackalope. You're the bar manager now. Force actually brought me in as the bar manager about a month ago. And I think this place provides a dining experience that's unique from everything else in the area. And I think it comes down to the heart and soul of hip hop that I think is the grounding element of this place. Being able to pair all of my my liquid shenaniganry with hip hop is really cool and I think unlike anything in the area. Well, we're gonna have our own kind of like rap battle between two of the wines. We are not. We yes, are. sir, we have to rap about the wines. No, we don't. If force feels no, forced, this is like, I'll beatbox. This, this is a little bit of trauma. Like I'm getting flashbacks of college where like there were hip hop battles and people kept inviting me and I'm like, I am not good at this. <laughs> Please don't make me freestyle just because I'm in the creative writing program. All right, thank you, chef. We're gonna also taste a little bit from the menu, but force. Garrick Perry here at Jackalope. Tell us a little bit about the event on Tuesday, August 29th. We are pairing five different wines with different courses of meals, but each course is going to be based on the regions of hip hop. So we've got a Midwest course, we've got a, a course for the Dirty South. Uh, of course, you gotta have a, a New York course, which we're calling the Big Apple. In between each course, we're gonna have our executive chef, Andrew Brow, uh, who came up with the concept, kind of talking about why he decided to pair these wines and foods. Each course will also have its own soundtrack dedicated to it. Um, and then we're gonna talk about kind of those areas. So that'll probably fall upon me. Uh, and then we'll have Sean here talking about the wines and how they pair well with the food. Let's talk about the importance of putting wine with hip hop as opposed to other spirits that people would normally talk 
talk about with hip hop? That's a good question. And I think we were really conscious of how we wanted to approach this. We were looking for kind of an identity. We had noticed that Dewey's has their jazz and Theodore's has their blues. And something that, you know, again, is true to my heart and also to Drew's is, is hip hop and growing up on those classic jams. Um, and so we didn't want to go the route of, of pairing Hennessy, you know, or hypnotic or things like that, which you normally think of with hip hop. And we wanted to, to really focus on how to give a fine dining experience with the wines associated to kind of have this be an, an, an initiation sort of a entryway to a broader palette and things that you might want to enjoy. Hip-hop did put a huge stamp on the world of champagne when Cristal started to get name-checked in so many different songs. So the idea of pairing wine and hip-hop also has a storied tradition. And Hennessy, shout out to my uncle who did an actual documentary about the connection between Hennessy and the black community. Awesome. Thanks to my uncle who shares my birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, Khalees! It's Happy birthday, Saturday! Birthday, Happy, Happy birthday, Uncle Lou! Okay. Should we drink some wine? Yeah, Sean. Yeah, what are you going to drink? This so, is part of the hip-hop dinner happening at Jackalope. That's true. We have two <laughs> wines from the Jean-Claude Boisset winery out of France. We're gonna oh, start- I loved him in No Treat, No Surrender. Stop it. <laughs> that was Jean-Claude Van Damme. Sorry. Yeah, I was about uh, to make a time cop. Double impact. <laughs> double impact on the wines. See, yours was better. Wine tasting is a blood sport. Monty, you should Ooh. just drink oh my this. God. We're starting with their Chardonnay. Fruity, uh, non-oaky, and a little citric. So, and you're gonna taste all of those notes. Right now, because you're going first. All right. Thank you. We've also got special guest tasters, our engineer, Betsy Lankdo. Hello, Betsy. Hi, everyone. I'm excited. And Oz. Hello, Oz. Hi. (laughs) And we got somebody taking social media pictures over here. His name I forgot. Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Jeff. A little bit of apple on the nose. Yeah. Is this a big apple one? No. I'm not going to spoil that for you, Monty. You're going to have to show up and find out. Okay. Fair enough. This is a little nutty, too, on the yeah. nose. Like, Which means it probably saw a little bit of oak, mm. I would imagine. The French are pretty good at using a responsible amount of oak as opposed with to, their wines. As opposed to us here, where we're just like teenagers, oak. because yeah. we are a teenage country. Tell us some of the artists that we'll be hearing at the Jackalope 50th Anniversary Hip Hop Wine five-course celebration on Tuesday, August 29th here on Worthington Street in Springfield. Well, I too don't want to spoil the, you know, the surprise. I think part of the experience will be trying to guess what each course, what you know, the soundtrack will be like. Um, but I think you guys can expect classics. Um, you know, we're going to really focus on the fundamentals of hip hop. So, you know, you can't have the Midwest without Bone Thugs and Harmony. You know, you can't have New York without your Nas and your Jay Z's. Uh, of course, you know, we also have a and a, your tribes and your tribe. Yes, you know, there, there's going to be uh, Wu Tang. There, there has to be some Wu Tang in there. You know, for the South, you know, I assume we're going to hear some Ludacris. There's, there'll be some Ti. Uh, again, you know, we're going for sort of the classics in hip hop, the things that not that you immediately think of. You might hear some of the names, but they're not going to all be the songs that you expect. Nice. We have another wine from the uh, Jean Charles Boisset Winery out of France. This one is a sparkling brut. Brut is brut. drier than dry when it comes to sparkling wine. If it says dry, know that Brut is drier. Extra Brut is drier than Brut. Don't drink anything that says sec or demi-sec unless no. you really hate your palate. There's so much bread on the nose of this. That is my favorite thing same. in a sparkling wine. Same, the same. The best same. champagnes smell like a loaf of bread in my opinion. I might be wrong, but I feel like this smells like macadamia nuts. Ooh. Is that anyone else? It's never wrong. If it comes to you in the glass, yeah. Betsy, it means it's there. Because it's not actually there. It's yeah. all what you imagine. It's all about perception. This is a very good palate cleanser for the second course. It's it's really going to overlap between the crab cake, which is a little bit smoky, 
kind of cleanse your palate enough to get to the third set and be able to enjoy the rest of your meal. What's your name? My name is Kyle Cordes. I'm the head chef of Jackalope Restaurant. Nice. So you're the one preparing the five courses for this hip hop dinner. I am. And today I have a little pre-tasting of a duet of smoked crab cake and sticky ribs. You shouldn't have. But we're glad you did. This is going to be our substitute for our crab cake. It is Chef Drew's Szechuan Sticky Ribs. Sesame seed, scallion garnish, a Szechuan sticky rib glaze, a little bit of parsley, chili crisp flake. I can't tell you how wonderful these ribs are. The center star of our hip hop winder is a smoked crab cake, bluefin crab, which is locally sourced. We have a charred shallot, fresh flowers, and a dress of fresh herb salad of parsley, oregano, bean sprouts, which are locally sourced from my own garden, and lemongrass, which I grew myself. Wow, how about that? How was growing okay. lemongrass? My mom sent me seeds and I got scared. I have been a homesteader for the last 10 years. I try to bring as much as I can to the table from my home. To finish on this set is a curried carrot puree with a touch of charred Meyer lemons and just a little drizzle of olive oil to cleanse your palate right after. Where should we begin? As a Maryland boy myself, I'm gonna go with the crab cakes to start. Yeah, I think the sticky ribs will probably be a little bit sweeter, yeah. so it might dominate, so I'm gonna go with the crab cakes too. Yeah. Crab cake has an awesome zing to it. I wouldn't call it spicy from my like my type of tasting, but I think some people might. Fresh ground paprika um, that I smoked myself. It is lightly smoked for about an hour and a half with hickory, just to bring up that essence. It does add a bit of a zing, but it's not gonna hit you in the front like a pepper. So you get that smoke flavor and that zing, but it's not gonna blast you in the face. Go ahead and take a sip of some of this wine. It opens up some of the flavors and it just makes that spice a little bit more pungent. And I believe the sparkling will kind of cool down that smokiness a little bit. I've been looking at these ribs for like months. I gotta give this a shot. <laughs> Dig into the ribs, Sean Bilson. Are these the same ribs that are at the White Lion Highbrow Kitchen? Yes, yes, yes. Actually, but these are the same ribs that are with Jackalope and Highbrow. I would kill my, for these ribs. <laughs> I have it's, it's said this before. It's not because I'm the chef, but Drew has made these locally famous. His recipe is phenomenal, and you will not find a better sticky rib Szechuan style around here. The secret is whenever NEPM has a little party at White Lion, which happens a couple times a year, I get the sticky Giving ribs. away our secrets! <laughs> and they pay the bill, and I'm like, yay! These are available every day, so come down and get these in your life, because uh, they are life-changing. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> they're, they're quite get them. Get, just get them. If you haven't had them, this is a simple flowchart, you should get them, but if you have had them, you should go get them. Betsy Langto, who is our engineer, you're the one who's always yelling at us about not being able to tell listeners what to do on a public radio station. Oh yeah, maybe cut that out. Best day in end for sure. <laughs> yep. Well, I was just talking to the table, of course. This is lovely. This is so, so, so good. Wait till the other four courses. Things are gonna be on fire. I'm a hip hop fan till the day I die. I grew up in the hill towns. I live in the city. Hip hop is my dream, it's my life. I've been writing graffiti for about 25 years. Does the 50th anniversary of hip hop mean anything to you in particular? Is it something? As my hair stands? Yes. I just turned 40 in February, but I've been listening to hip hop since about nine. Even growing up in Russell Mass, like it was just brought to my set and it took off. Run DMC, BC Boys, it just, it was a lifestyle that I couldn't ignore. By the time I was 15, I was in New York City almost every weekend with my friends. Running the streets, grabbing cans, hitting shows and it's just it's it's gonna be a live set so I need to bring what my youth taught me to this table 
right now. What about you, Forrest Garrick Perry? From well, Jackalope, also city councilor in Northampton, who is also uh, a hip hop artist, solo with the Alchemistics, with your brother. Problematics. Um, I, I like to mirror that. You know, hip hop really has been the unifying factor throughout my life. You know, my father used to DJ in, in basements uh, when I was young. So I was that kid who was there at the house parties, hiding behind, much much like Max is right now, uh, hiding behind my dad. Max is the chef. Is the chef son hanging out back who's here. And so that, you know, it's been a, it's been a through point. Every year at Amherst College, uh, my alma mater, I would write a paper on hip hop, you know, and, and here I am moving forward to come and, and be working with someone like uh, Chef Kyle and, and Chef Brow has been great because you know, we all have passions for hip hop stemming from different part of our lives. And to come here and to work with people, you know, Kyle and I have been talking about really integrating some graffiti and in, in, which is, you know, one of the important elements of hip hop. Bouncing these ideas for me here as we celebrate the 50th anniversary and know that hip hop is still strong to this day, that we are just seeing uh, the places that hip hop can go and collaborations like this where we bring food and, and wine together along with that core of hip hop, that true artistry uh, is inspiring for me. So I'm, I'm really glad to be a part of this. Being blessed myself, I have quite a few crews that originated with graffiti in Brooklyn and between 72 and 78 drug crew, which is doing Righteous Under God or Dirty Rebels Underground and Wild Style Crew, which is Tracy 186. Some of these pioneers that I have personally met, personally talked to, these people are great. They're older gentlemen that are allowing this next set of people including myself to carry this phenom into something bigger than ourselves it's it's not just the graffiti it's an art movement it's art food love respect all in one you ran with wild style that's insane wild style crew word okay we've come in the face of that one dude who sent us an email after we talked about graffiti yeah graffiti is and can be art period that's all you got to say period. about that it's no. not just vandalism. If you look downtown Springfield, there's a revitalization project right now. There's murals everywhere. It's not graffiti. People paint to paint. It's just art. You might find a vandalism, but when you look at it in a deeper value, it's just somebody trying to get their outlet out there. And also respect the other art that's already up there. Exactly. Because yeah. sometimes it is vandalism and it makes me so mad when there's somebody's done something beautiful and then there are lazy people in every art form. It might be vandalism to start, but you don't know that person 10 years down the line from right. what they're starting now. Exactly. It's the same with my culinary career. My place didn't look like this. My plates were garbage. 19 years old, look at that, I'm a chef. No, that wasn't the case. It's taken me 20 years to get to the point where I can present something appropriately, flavorfully, and just bring it to another level so people enjoy themselves. Okay, now comes the part where we have to vote. Sean, tell us the wines that we're voting on once. We've tried number 21, Brut White Burgundy out of the Jean-Charles Boisette winery. And then we have also tried their Chardonnay. I'm gonna give it to the Chardonnay. Is this what I'm drinking right now? Uh, you mean what I'm drinking right now? Uh, that I just you're drinking out of the out same of your, glass? Yeah, that I just took That's out of fine. your hand. Yeah. Family is family, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. When you live and die in restaurants, <laughs> it's family is family. I'm trying not to die day. here. <laughs> I really, I got we other spend... things I need to do. I'm gonna Close give it, it to the Chardonnay. No disrespect to the sparkling, but I think the lightly oakiness, the, I think specifically lemon that hits just right on the back of my palate makes me want to take the bottle home with me. I think- Honestly, I think that Chardonnay is gonna pair very well with our second course yeah yes Is that your vote chef Kyle? Uh, yeah I'm, I'm going with the chardonnay that's got that right bite that's gonna that's gonna hit that like appropriately Oz yeah I'm actually gonna also agree with the chardonnay it's a little bit more full I love a light sparkling wine but just something about the fullness of the chardonnay is just winning me over the more I taste it. force 
Derek Perry? I'm struggling here. They're both excellent wines, and I'm not one to follow leads, so while I think the Chardonnay is great, I was surprised by the brute. It, it's light. It has a little sweetness to it, and it was excellent with the crab cake. And again, I'm a Maryland boy, so I'm going to go with the brute. Betsy Langto, our engineer. I think the Chardonnay would be great if I was having a meal, but if I was just drinking on my own, I would pick the sparkling every time. Yeah, that's a hard decision yeah. when we do the food and wine pairing, yeah. but Kalee Smith? I'd pick the brute. The breadiness, the yeastiness, I think actually went really well with both of these in a way I wasn't necessarily expecting. Bubbles burst flavonoids in a really cool way on your palate, just in general. I also vote for the Brute, so the Brute wins. The Brute wins. Well, I think we're all winners here today. I think for me, and for lack of better phrase for the culture, like one of the important things about doing a wine hip hop dinner is that like no one sees hip hop and wine. I mean, it's Cristal, but like Cristal is not that good as champagne sometimes. Crystal. It's like Vouv Clicquot. Uh, just costs too much money. Having something like that pair in a way that people don't necessarily see and wouldn't necessarily expect is really important for generally expanding people's horizons. Get out there and reach a little further and you'll get something good. If people are interested in the five-course hip-hop celebration of the 50 years of hip-hop dinner here at Jackalope, Garrick Perry, Force, hip-hop legend, city councilor in Northampton, where do people need to go? Catch us on all of our social media. Well, you, and you can also reach out to me at manager at eatjackalope.com. Uh, you get a personal message from Force. <laughs> They'll send you some bars, but not for free. Who knows? You might get lucky. I might send out a little mixtape here. And if you want to, you know, try and put together what you would think would be your favorite playlist for such a dinner. Because uh, I'd love to hear what other folks would like to hear. Friday on the Fabulous 413, we'll hear from folks from the Okiteo Cultural Center who were instrumental in removing what's called the Big Indian Statue from the Mohawk Trail. We'll talk about how some in the indigenous community feel about the statue's removal and why they say the statue was racist and dangerous. Plus, former recorder reporter Richie Davis with a new book of true tales from extraordinary lives of folks here in Western Mass, another wine Thunderdome with provisions in Longmeadow, and Live Music Friday with the band who will be portraying Neil Diamond at performance on Tuesday, King Radio. Our director is Tony. Year-end reports are done. Our engineer is Betsy, the aunt of the jackalope, Chef Lankto. Our technical team is Bart, help fix my trackpad Rankin, Phil, cryptozoologist Bishop, and Kara Newcodes for you, Foster and punk rude boy Dubay. Thanks to Run DMC, Sugar Hill Gang, Grandmaster Flash, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Missy Elliott, and Wu-Tang Clan.